Our reading from the New Testament today comes from a, a few different places, starting in Luke 24, and we'll read a few things there and then jump to Acts 20. But Luke 24, beginning in verse 1, says this, But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. Moving to verse 13, it says that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. And lastly, in Acts chapter 20, verse 7 says this, On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread... Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. This is the word of the Lord. You know, just a few years ago, I don't remember exactly when it was, uh, but a few years ago I showed up to church one day, and this book was laying on the steps. It looked like somebody had maybe just driven up and literally thrown it onto the steps. Uh, it's called Sunday is not the Bible Sabbath and I don't know how well you can see it from there it's you know you're told you're not supposed to judge a book by its cover you can judge this one by its cover right you see there's there's all kinds of colors it's a weird color anyway right all this different text front and back right says Sunday sacredness is not in the Bible God commands us to keep the Bible Sabbath on the seventh day of the week it's very intense Right? Lots of exclamations, all bold. It says, this is a, the little-known story how men changed the Sabbath to Sunday almost 300 years after the death of Christ. It ends on the back. It has this, you know, this kind of warning. Do you dare to reject Christ's Sabbath while claiming to love and obey him? It also costs $10, evidently. Uh, believe it or not, if you read through it, most of it is about the end times. <laughs> Funny enough, um, it's, there's got, it's got pictures, it's got all kinds of stuff. And it's goofy, right? It's kind of silly. Uh, it's, it's not something that I would ever, you know, put any stock in. But it brings up an interesting question. If the Sabbath was on a Saturday, the seventh day of the week, why are we meeting today? Why do we meet on a Sunday? Why has the church pretty much exclusively or almost exclusively met on Sundays. If the Ten Commandments has enduring validity for our lives, which we believe it does, that it directs us in how we might follow God, then uh, what do we do with the Fourth Commandment that tells us to observe the Sabbath? Are we disobeying God by meeting today? No. No, we're not. Not at all. In fact, Scripture makes clear that if... If there is a day in the New Testament era that has particular significance, 
it's the first day of the week, or rather the eighth day. It's the day of Jesus' resurrection. And the church has long understood that the fourth commandment, its focus, the command itself is to keep the Sabbath day, to keep the Sabbath day holy, to keep a ceasing time holy, one day in seven, and not so much focus on the specific day. Yes, in the Old Testament, focusing on the the finished work of God in creation, they rested on the seventh day. But that's not necessarily the focus. And in the New Testament, we have a different day that was observed by the church to commemorate the finished work of God. In the passages we just read, along with many others, like in John chapter 20, in Mark 16, in 1 Corinthians 16, and in Revelation chapter 1, where John calls Sunday the Lord's Day, we see that Jesus met with his people specifically on the day of his resurrection. And as far as I can find, if if the scripture tells us when Jesus met with his people what day it was, it doesn't always. Okay, so a lot of the time, it doesn't say what day he met with his disciples. We don't know. But anytime it specifically mentions when they met after his resurrection, it's the first day of the week. It's always noted that way. That would be Sunday. And technically, it, it actually doesn't say first day of the week. It says uh, on one of the Sabbath. The idea is that it's it's the Sabbath plus one. It's the Sabbath, but more so. It's, it's added to in a sense. It's the seventh day plus one, which makes it the first day of the week, but it also makes it the eighth day. And the eighth day has particular importance throughout the scripture. It's a day of consecration. It's almost always tied to consecration. It's a day that boys would be circumcised in the Old Covenant. It's a day that animals, the firstborn from the flock, would be ready to be sacrificed. It's the the day that if you had been defiled by leprosy, or if you had been defiled, uh, made unclean ceremonially by uh, touching somebody that was dead or being around the dead, you would be unclean until the eighth day. So the eighth day, which is also the first day of the week, is the day of consecration. It's also the day of resurrection. It's the only day spoken of that Jesus met with his disciples. It's the day of breaking of bread. We see that both in Luke as well as in Acts, that both this is the day Jesus broke bread with his disciples and ate with them, communed with them. And it's the day that the disciples themselves and the churches that they founded would meet together and break bread. It's where they would gather to hear teaching, as in Acts 20. This is when they would gather together for corporate teaching that Paul would give. It's also the day, we're told in 1 Corinthians 16, that they would gather together and Paul would take up an offering. It was on this day, the first day of the week. And it's called the Lord's Day by John, as well as by the the earliest church fathers, right? The practice stemming from uh, the, the, earliest, the earliest practices of the church were to meet on this day, they called the Lord's Day, as they believed the apostles had set forward. So this is why we worship on this day, because we believe that through the work of Jesus Christ, which is a work as we've talked about two weeks ago, so it's been a little while, but we, we talked about how it's a work of new creation, 
and it's a work of redemption, and it's something that was completed or finished in Jesus rising from the dead. And so we partake of the true essence of the Sabbath in Christ, and we meet together on this day because it's the day of his resurrection. So we still have one day in seven set aside, reminding us of the rest and freedom we have in him. And it is fitting that it be this day, right? Because this is the day that Jesus did come up out of the grave. So much for that book, right? So much for this. It wasn't convincing. It was not ultimately convincing. We're back today in Exodus chapter 20. We'll be focusing on the fourth commandment in verses 8 to 11, but uh, we'll begin in verse 1 so that we get a little bit fuller of the context. This is Exodus 20, beginning in verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me, You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is God's holy and inspired word for us this morning. As I said before, we were spending two weeks on the fourth commandment. Uh, Two weeks ago, uh, before Dick preached this past week, Uh, We focused on the way in which this command is ultimately fulfilled in Christ. We focused on Christ. And we started with Christ because apart from him, you miss all of it. You lose all of it. it. It doesn't actually work. It doesn't matter if you observe ritual rest on the Lord's day if you don't have Christ. Jesus condemned the Pharisees for, you know, not... Uh, observing the weightier matters of the law, for neglecting the weightier matters of the law. And in a sense, that's what you would be doing. It's better that someone trust in Christ, truly receive spiritual rest, the kind that only he offers, and then never show up on a Sunday morning for church than if they showed up every week and yet never knew him. The, The former is better. Now, in saying that, of course, we would, you know, maybe have a a proper kind of skepticism to somebody who says, well, I love Christ, but I hate his body, and I never want to be with it, right? I I don't care for his bride, and I never want to be around the rest of the church. I don't want to worship at this time, right? we, We would have some healthy skepticism about that. But in the abstract, we want to be able to say, of course, it would be better if you have Christ, 
without that ritual observance rather than having the ritual observance and not knowing him. Paul explicitly commands not to pass judgments in regard to holy days. Right? So if someone has Christ and they choose to worship on a different day in a different way than we do, we should still rejoice. We might believe that how they're doing things isn't quite right. It's not as consistent with scripture as, as we think it could be. And yet we rejoice. We rejoice that Christ is worshiped. We rejoice that others know him. Martin Luther said this, he said, if anywhere the day is made holy for the mere day's sake, if anywhere anyone sets up its observance on a Jewish foundation, that is to say an Old Testament foundation, then I order you to work on it, to ride on it, to dance on it, to feast on it, to do anything that shall remove the encroachment on Christian liberty. And nobody says it like Luther. He was just so forward. <laughs> Couldn't be much more forward than Luther was. Now that is something we want to keep in mind. And that's why we started by focusing on the finished work of Christ and giving us this rest that's held out in the Sabbath. But at the same time, you know, I would submit to you that you know, our temptation today is not likely as much to uh, encroach upon Christian liberty, though that may happen at times. Our temptation is much more likely to be that of licentiousness of abusing the liberty that we have been given. And the remedy to that is the same either way. It is the, the proclamation of the good news that Jesus Christ has given us rest, that you have been set free. And because you have been set free in the redemption of Christ, you don't have to Sabbath. You get to Sabbath. Right? You don't have to uh, observe the Sabbath, you get to observe the Sabbath in order that you might worship and rest in the finished work of Christ. And so the goal today is that we would come to have a deeper understanding where we see the, the beauty, right, the goodness, the blessing of the Sabbath day, of the continuing validity of the fourth commandment. So toward that end, we're going to look at kind of different, you know, aspects of the, the blessing that is held out for us in the fourth commandment. First is the blessing of remembering. Remember that the fourth commandment starts with remember. That's how it begins. It's the first word. Remember, verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. It's very easy to start talking about, you know, observing a Sabbath and to start with what you're not to do, what you shouldn't do, right? What can't I do on this day? But that's not how God starts when he speaks of a Sabbath. He starts with a positive command. Remember, remembers the central command. Remember the Sabbath day in order to keep it holy. Make a memorial of this day. Make this day a sign for yourself. A sign of what? A memorial to what? A memorial of the finished work of Jesus Christ, of all that he has done, of his continual favor and grace to you who believe, right? of his caring providence in your life, of his redemption and the freedom that he's given, of his finished work of new creation through his resurrection. Right? The fact is that you're more prone to forget 
the grace of God and the mercies of God than you recognize. This is a perpetual problem for the people of God, that we forget what it is that he has done for us, to forget all that he has accomplished, to forget his grace, to forget all that he has commanded. And the Sabbath, remember, means to cease. That's what the Sabbath is. It's a ceasing. But it's not a ceasing from everything. That's why there can be a command, like, remember. Right? You're doing something. It's active. Right? To Sabbath is not to be a holy couch potato. You Sabbath from your normal day-to-day work in order that you might remember. Right? That, that this would be a sign of all that God has done for you. And this looks different in the New Covenant, but it hasn't been completely abrogated. Right? It looks a little different. Some of the, the way that we observe these things looks different. Jesus shares the Passover meal with his disciples, and he says, do this as often as you do it in remembrance of me. Right? In order to remember me and all that I've done, all that's been accomplished. Right? You're still called to partake in the signs of God's grace. To break bread with him and with others. Right? You're, you're called, as the psalmist says, as we heard last week, to forget not all of his benefits. Right? The opposite of that. You remember. Worship is an act of remembering the covenant faithfulness of God. And responding to it in praise in trust, right, by consecrating ourselves once again for what he has called us to do. And today is an opportunity for you to to do that, to recommit yourself in mind and heart, to recommit to mind all that God has accomplished and provided for you, and then allow that to direct the rest of your life, right, the rest of the week, then is directed by, it's, it's oriented around remembering what it is that God has done and accomplished. Tied closely to this, then, is the blessing of what I'm going to call holy time. It's, it's a gift of God to us. The Sabbath, having a Sabbath is a gift of God to us because it is holy time. It is time that is set apart for a particular purpose. The Lord himself, we're told in verse 11, blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And the Lord's day has been made holy by by virtue of Jesus rising from the dead, of finishing his work of redemption, redeeming us, making us a new creation. And in his making himself known to us, particularly on this day, Right? When he would break bread, when he would appear to the apostles, when the apostles would meet together and, and present Christ crucified, as it says in Galatians, through the proclamation of his word. Because it is holy, because by virtue of Christ's resurrection it has been made holy, you are to keep it holy. Holiness, then, is this, this idea of keeping it separate, distinct, Right? Different. There's something different about this day in how we are to live. Think of it this way. Here's an, an example. Right? You likely have in your home some kind of you know, fine dinnerware, maybe china or something like that. 
and you pull it out only for special occasions or when, when, when very special people come and visit, right? Or maybe special days, days that you, you particularly celebrate, right? Or maybe you have other kinds of decor that you'll pull out, but it's only for a given season or a given day or, or for particular people when they enter into your house, when you entertain them. But the fourth commandment is all about setting aside one day in seven to show how important it is and how important he is, the the one who you're meeting with, how important the Lord is to you, right? That he is worthy of all of your time. And so you, you give to him the first fruits of your time, the first day of the week. And you devote that day to the things that he particularly loves, to worship, to fellowship, to mercy, to joyful rest. The Lord's Day reminds you that the Lord is not just the Lord of your mind. He's not just the Lord of your heart, right? He's the Lord of your time, right? That all of your time and how your time is ordered ultimately belongs to him. He is, as we sing, the potentate of time. J.I. Packer points out that the Sabbath in part teaches us to master our time so that we are not mastered by it. The Sabbath reminds us of the freedom that we have in Christ as redeemed sons and daughters of the potentate of time. That you don't have to be mastered by time. Right? You don't have to feel that time is against you. But rather, it's a gift given by God that you can have peace in it. This is part of what the Lord's Day is about. Keeping it holy... And in so doing, mastering time and submitting it to Jesus Christ, saying, even my time, whatever you give me, it's for you ultimately. It's for the Lord. And keeping something holy, right, when we talk about something being holy, that doesn't mean that it has to be a downer. It doesn't mean that it has to be a drag. Maybe I don't have to say that to you, but sometimes I I think we think that way. Right, that holiness is just the act of taking any enjoyment and fun out of something. But that's not what it is at all. Right? Think again back to that analogy. You pull out the fine china, the nice dinnerware, because something special is happening, something that you, you look forward to. You're, you're hosting somebody that you look forward to seeing. You want to give them a- enjoyment. And so you, you pull that out, right? You pull out a nice wine, you make a nice dessert, you set a feast, you, you make it holy, not by taking away from it, but, but by adding to it, in a sense. Pastor Dan Jackson, uh, pastor in our presbytery up in Green Bay, I was recently, very recently, while we were in Memphis, having a conversation, uh, and he told me that uh, he tries to make Sunday a day of saying yes especially to his kids, that he wants it to be a day of yes, where he can just say yes way more than normal because he wants them to, to understand that this is, this is a day of receiving blessing. It's not of just taking things away. I think that really gets to the heart of it. Right? It's a day set apart, holy, set apart for good, for blessing because of the joy that you have in Jesus Christ. Moving on, the Sabbath is also all about the, the blessing of rest. 
the blessing that we have in Christ of receiving rest. The Sabbath is a memorial, a sign of God's covenant work, specifically his finished work in creation and redemption. Right? He has completed his work, so you are told that you are a new creation. Not that you someday will be. But you're told that you are already in Christ a new creation. Just as the rainbow reminds humanity of God's grace in his refusal to destroy the earth as he did in the flood, even though we deserve it, right? even though we, we flaunt it in his face, so too when you take a Sabbath on the Lord's day, you're signifying that God has done everything that you most need. Right? You go about your work throughout the week, which you're commanded to do. Right? Work is not bad. This t- text, right, this, this commandment says you shall do all your work for six days. So, so work is something you're commanded to do. But you, you stop on this day in order to say that there is something that has to be done that you don't do, that you just receive, that you just get by virtue of what God has done. That when Christ says it is finished, you just say amen, right? You just respond. You, you don't have to, to finish it yourself. It is finished already. Those things which you most, most need, those deepest needs of your soul have already been accomplished through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Psalm 127 teaches us that unless the Lord builds a house, those who build it labor in vain. And that the Lord gives to his beloved sleep. He gives them rest. We, We seek to set aside a day from our normal work because he has accomplished the most important work, the greatest work. He has done everything necessary for your greatest good. The, the kinds of things that you cannot just provide for yourself, well, he's already given them to you. This is the day that the Lord has made, so we will rejoice. We'll be glad in it. Instead of another day of, of just normal earthly work, this day is a day that we can simply receive. We, we simply receive the kindness and grace of God. And that's what it is ultimately to be a a creature, to be created. Ultimately, everything for us is grace. Everything is given. And by setting aside time like this, we remember that. We remember that everything that we have is ultimately grace. And those, those most important things that our soul needs, they're the kinds of things that we don't even, we can't even help with. Right? We, we, just, we just receive it. We're just given it. Every stone you turn over in this life, underneath it you find grace. Every piece of food that you put in your mouth, you taste grace. Right? Every dollar in your bank account, it is grace. Right? And you're made to work, you're commanded to work, but as a creature, as one who has been made, your primary posture in life is one of receiving. It's one of 
of knowing that ultimately everything comes down from your Father in heaven. It is receiving and, and having that, that thankful recognition of God's grace, which you see everywhere. So the Sabbath, in order to Sabbath, right, to, to do what this command is talking about, is to rest in what God has done. And that's something that you can experience always in Christ, by faith. And it's something that we remind ourselves of by setting aside a day to rest. A day where we remember that we're not machines and that life is more than bread. And we seek the, the heavenly bread, the heavenly manna, the deepest desire of our souls. And in Christ, we find it. Right? You can actually find it. You can have it in him. The Lord's day, then, is a day of ritualizing our need as creatures to simply receive, to simply rest. The Lord's day is also a day that's all about the blessing of mercy, both the mercy that we have received, but even more so, a mercy that we get to take part in giving. It's not just about receiving rest, it's also about giving rest. Read with me again verse 9. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. Here's these seven different people or, or groups that are mentioned. Right, symbolically representing everything, everyone, the, the number of completeness. Everybody gets to rest on this day. Everybody is given an opportunity to have this time set aside. So, in other words, it's not just about your personal needs or wants. Everybody gets to take part in this. Two weeks ago, we looked at Deuteronomy 5, and we're not going to do that now, but in, in that giving of the Ten Commandments, and the second giving, as Moses speaks to the people of Israel, it specifically ties the fourth commandment to the fact that the people of Israel had been slaves in Egypt and were brought out of that, were redeemed. And so now, too, that was supposed to be given to others. Just as we have been redeemed, just as we have been given rest, so we want to be people that give rest. Just as we have received mercy, so we want to give mercy. There's no room before the Lord to practice Sabbath as a personal spiritual discipline while not allowing those that work for you or who you have some say over to not Sabbath, to not enjoy the same thing. Right? This would be Somebody who says, well, I get to go and enjoy worship and, and rest today because I have all these other people that work for me. They work the fields. They do whatever I need. That's, that, that is explicitly something that the Lord is telling the people not to do. So as you seek to Sabbath, at the forefront of your mind should be how you might serve others in helping them to cease from their labors as well. Right? Most centrally, 
giving opportunity to know that true spiritual rest in Christ. Right? Helping others to worship. Helping others to know freedom in Christ. Not heaping burdens on others. Not forcing others to work that they might serve you. But rather having a posture of serving others. And when Jesus was condemned for healing on the Sabbath, he pointed out that that's actually what the Sabbath is all about. Right? Healing, giving rest, freedom, and mercy. Right? If, if you were coming to church, driving to church, and you saw somebody on the side of the road that needed help and you knew that you could help them, right, you shouldn't think, oh, well, I can't right now because I really need to get to church. Right? That's what today is all about. No, you, you help them because that's, that, that is what today is all about. It's, it's the giving of mercy. It's helping others. If, you're, if you are a, a mom or a dad that has to stay home because of your sick kids on a Sunday, you shouldn't feel guilty about that. Right? You are caring. You are, you are being merciful to your children. That's a good thing. That's a right thing. It's all about helping others, right? giving rest to others, feeding others, blessing others. Right? If a doctor has to do an emergency surgery on a Sunday, it's only the, the really extreme Pharisaism, legalism that you see in the time of Jesus that would even bat an eye. Because the, the, the day is about healing. It's about mercy and helping others. The point is that the Sabbath is in part a blessing uh, so that you might be a blessing. Right? That you, it's, it's an opportunity for you to seek your neighbor's good even as God has sought your good. Finally, and there's a lot more that we could say, but, but for today, the Sabbath, the Lord's Day, we see throughout Scripture is a day of breaking bread, which means it's a day of fellowship both with God and with each other. Right, we see this in, in Jesus meeting with the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Right, the end of their journey, he sits with them, he breaks bread with them, he communes with them. And then this is the example that carries on. You know, sometimes we, we read Luke, and then if you're just, you know, reading through the Bible, well, next is John. But... The book of Acts actually comes right after Luke. They're written together. Luke wrote both of them. And just a, a couple of chapters in to the book of Acts, what do you find the church doing? What do you find the disciples doing? They're breaking bread together. They're doing what we're told Jesus did with his disciples. They're following that example. So the Lord's day should be ultimately a day of fellowship. You know, when we think of rest, you know, maybe we'd think of something like sleeping, right, getting a nap, which is good and right. That sleep is a good thing. It's actually a blessing of God. Or maybe, you know, what we often think of is the kind of vegging out where, you know, you just kind of collapse, you turn something on the TV, and you just, you just kind of go brain dead for a while. And sometimes when we... When we think of what, you know, what I need for rest, when we're thinking of what we need for rest, we're maybe a little misguided on what we really need, right? What is, what is ultimately needed for true rest? Not just the let my body relax a little bit because I've been working hard, but the, the deep 
rest of our souls. In reality, the truest and deepest rest that we can have comes by communion with God and then communion with others. Even if you're introverted, it's fellowship that really brings rest. I'm not talking about small talk. I don't want to scare a bunch of you. I mean that, that true, deep fellowship, right? As we share lives together, as we share meals together, as we, we know and are known, as we bear one another's burdens, as we seek to help one another, as we feast together with thankful hearts, hearts uplifted to God. The Lord's Day, the, the Christian Sabbath, if you want to call it that, is given as a gift that we might give ourselves to God and then to one another. It's, it's that the Lord has provided everything we need, and now we can commune with him and commune with each other. So the goal this morning is, is simply that we, we seek to keep the Sabbath, and, and one of those ways is by seeing it as the blessing that it is. It's a gift of God to you in order that you might remember his grace, that you might orient your time around him, that you might receive from him out of his finished work, that you might be a conduit of his mercy, giving rest to others, and that you might have opportunity for true fellowship, both with God and with one another. The Sabbath is something that God has given. And and it's something that you don't have to take part in, you get to. Do you understand that distinction? It's a command of God, but the commands of God for you who are in Christ, right? if you have believed, this is a blessing and a gift to you. It doesn't mean it's not sometimes hard. It doesn't mean that it's not also a discipline. Right? I know, especially those who have kids or have had kids that you get to church in the morning, you know how much of a discipline it can be just to get to church, right? It's hard. It is hard work. But like all disciplines, like all true disciplines, it's, it's, it's a gift. It's a good thing. It might be hard, especially at first, but as you, as you work those muscles, right, as you train, you get to the point where you, you long for it, you desire it, you want to do this. The text here is inviting you to imagine how you might begin to better remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, right? It wouldn't be helpful to leave here today and you thought, okay, I really need to do a better job at Sabbath, uh, but I don't know how I will, and and here's all these reasons I can't, and you just feel bad about yourself, you self-flagellate a little bit, then you go to bed, you wake up, you forget about it, right? That would be of no benefit for any of us. That's not the desired outcome. No, the desired outcome is that we would receive from God his his command of Sabbath as a blessing to us in in our lives. And every journey, if you will, every journey that you set out on, you have to start where you're at. You don't just end up where you're going. This is where perfectionism can destroy obedience. When we're trying to obey and follow after what God has set before us, to follow that path that he has laid down for us. Perfectionism destroys it because you start out and you say, I should be there already. 
Right? I should already be there. I should be at the end. Well, that's, that's of no use. That's of no help. Then you just become discouraged. You give up. Imagine, again, that you're having dinner guests over. Right? Somebody that's very special to you, that you really want to treat well, somebody really important. And you say, you know what? I don't know if our dining room is big enough. We're going to have to demolish the house and build a new one. Well, you wouldn't do that. That would be absurd. But that's how you try to obey God sometimes. That, that's not how you obey. That's not how you move forward. You have to start with where you're at. Right? It's not, well, if I can't do it perfectly, I can't do it at all. No, you, you start somewhere. Right? You're having dinner gas over. They're very important to you. Okay, well, what can you do? Right? You cut the grass, sweep the floors, you make it look a little bit nicer, you pull out the dinnerware, you make some nice food. What if you don't have any of that? What if where you're at is, well, I have no food, I have no time. Well, then you, you give yourself to that person with a hospitable attitude. Right? You, you, are, you are fully engaged in serving them and caring for them in what way you can. There are all kinds of things you can do. You give what you have, in other words. Obedience is the same way. God has already provided for you. He's already fulfilled everything that is necessary for you in Christ. Now, you're simply responding to that kindness, trying to live the kind of life that you know will, will make him glad. In obeying the fourth commandment, for some of you, that next step is just simply going to be you need to get to bed sooner on a Saturday night so that you can make it to church and that you can be engaged. It's that simple. That, that's just that next, that next step. For some of you, it might mean trying to limit how much work you're doing on a Sunday so that you can start to give more of that time to the Lord. For some of you, right, it might just start with that attitude change. Right? Maybe you don't have anything else right now, but you can start with an attitude change. Kevin DeYoung says that he uses this question a lot to kind of diagnose where he's at with this. He says, am I teaching my kids that church is something that I get to do or something that we squeeze in? That's a convicting question. Right? Maybe for you it's just that attitude change. Right? I'm going to start trying to look forward to the Lord's day. Maybe for some of you, you need to start pushing more into that, that fellowship aspect. Right? You need to seek to set aside more time during the day that you might give yourself to others and, and spend time with others, invite people over to your home, or be willing to go over to someone else's home. Right? Stay longer during the fellowship time at church, whatever it might be. For some of you, it, it might actually just be relaxing a little bit, Right? Relax from how rigid you see how you want to spend this day so that you can be more flexible, more hospitable to others and with others. For some of you, maybe it's finding opportunities that you might serve on a Sunday, that you might uh, find some way to show the mercy of God to others. Right? Find, find a place for your family to go and, and you know, serve the homeless. Find find an opportunity to go and, and care for others. Visit the, the widows of the church. Right? Finding opportunities that you might give to others. 
whatever it may be, the goal is that each of us, wherever we're at on that journey, right, wherever we're starting from, that we would see the end, right, that we would see that ultimately this is a, a blessing of God, the goodness of God, that we'd recognize what we've already been, been given in Christ, and that we just more and more, one step after the other, we just start seeking to follow him in obedience. And as a covenant sign, right, as this is a sign, a sign that's given, a remembrance, a memorial, as a covenant sign of what God has already done and accomplished, you can trust that as you seek to follow him, right, as you seek to give yourself to him in this way, that he will walk with you, that he will guide you, and that you will ultimately experience blessing from him. True rest. Would you pray with me? Lord God, please help us. Please remove uh, from us any form of legalism or perfectionism as we come to your law. Please remove from us any sort of licentiousness or rebellion in us that we might simply and truly receive the blessing of your law and that we might walk with Christ as he walks with us. Lord, as you have set out this path for us, we pray that uh, it would would not uh, come to us as a burden, but we would see that by faith this is the light to our path. And we do ask, Father, that you would bless us. Bless us today. Bless us as we continue in worship. Bless us as we go out from the fellowship today into the various places that we will go. Lord, walk with us all of this week, that it might all be devoted to you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.